Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crime Pros. Today is a very unique episode. I was going to take a week off because of the holiday. Happy Labor Day. But we have some celebrating to do because as of today, we have four new streaming platforms that you can listen to all Amped Media Originals, and I'm so excited. So starting today, you can listen to Crime Pros and all other Amped Media productions on Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts where you've been listening. So I'm so excited. Can't wait to see how you all love the new streaming platforms. And so to celebrate, I thought it could be fun to have a crime pro that we've never had before. It's me! Surprise. So today I want to dive into a true crime story that is my... I don't want to say my favorite because it's truly a really tragic story, but it's the story that got me interested in true crime and that helped me to see how talking about these crimes really helps to raise awareness on ways we can keep people safe and um, also helps with unsolved cases, how they can be solved. Now, luckily, this case has been solved. Justice was served decades ago, um, but I, I... can't wait to get into this week's episode. So without further ado, this is the story of In Cold Blood. On the evening of November 14th, 1959, the Clutter family is wrapping up their night at the family farmhouse outside of Holcomb, Kansas. Now the Clutters are a family of six. The father is Herb Clutter and he's a farmer and is a well-known leader in the community, known for his business success um, and just family values. And he spent the evening watching TV with two of his children, uh, his daughter's boyfriend and his loving wife. He's very successful and he's also very trusting and is known to leave his doors and windows unlocked, which lesson number one from true crime, lock those doors and those windows at night. Now, also in the home is Herb's wife, Bonnie. Now, Bonnie suffers from pretty severe clinical depression and some other mental health issues that have gone unchecked and untreated for quite a while. And so she actually, uh, in the home, has her own bedroom because sometimes she just needs her own space to get away to. So once the family's done watching TV, she retires up to her own bedroom on the second floor of the farmhouse. Also present, is their daughter, Nancy, who is 16, the only daughter in the family. And she has had her boyfriend over, so she's saying goodbye to him. He was there for dinner and then they watched TV. Now, Nancy is known as a star student in the community. She has really good grades. She's also known for her baking skills um, and has been baking for other locals this week. Also, Nancy teaches children and tutors them uh, throughout the week. So just like a really great person who gives back a lot. And also present is her younger brother, Kenyon, who's 15, and he heads up to bed as well. Now, the family also has two older adult daughters, but they live on their own. They're grown, they're out of the house, so they're not there. So after Nancy's boyfriend leaves, the four members of the Clutter family, who our story today revolves around, 
all head to four separate bedrooms on the second floor of their home. Now, what the clutters didn't know was that there were two unexpected guests making their way to the farm at this time. See, Richard Hickok and Perry Smith are on their way to the clutter home. Uh, now, Hickok and, and Smith, they're lowlifes. Both of them are former convicts, criminals with rich backgrounds in everything from robbery to battery, and they're looking to make a quick buck. And Hickok is actually taking the lead in this because he has a former prison cellmate who told him about the Clutter family and about how Herb is very successful and wealthy and also trusting and leaves his doors unlocked. And, and this cellmate used to be a ranch hand on the Clutter farm. And so he told Hickok that the family keeps their fortune in a safe in the home in Herb's office. And so Hickok recruited his friend Smith to help him steal this safe and then run away to Mexico because Perry Smith is known for being irrational, hot-headed and violent. So he thinks this is someone who will be helpful with a robbery. Now in the wee hours of the morning on November 15th, it's dark, the family's in bed and the criminals reach the clutter home. They make their way up the long driveway with the lights to their car intentionally turned off. And they notice that the house is on the family farm with the nearest neighbor far away. Some reports say that it's a quarter mile away and others say it could be up to two miles away, the closest neighbor. I grew up in a farming community and I had neighbors within a few hundred yards of me and I felt like they were you know, unreachable if there was an emergency. So I can only imagine having your nearest neighbors be two miles from your home. Hickok and Smith silently sneak into the clutter home using an unlocked back door, super easy. They have no problems getting in. And they see that this house is a classic two-story farm home. There's the first floor with a kitchen, living room, common areas, that kind of thing. The second floor has four bedrooms. Each of them is filled by one member of the Clutter family. And there's also a basement, which has like a living area in half of it, and then like a walled off utility room, utility area type storage space in the second half of the basement. Now, Smith and Perry search the home for the safe, but they can't find it. So they realize they're going to need Herb Clutter to help them like, like get the money that they want. So they woke up all four members of the family, one at a time, at gunpoint. Herb was taken to the basement utility room where he was bound, gagged, and tied to a pole. And Kenyon, the brother, was also taken to the basement and left bound and gagged on the couch in the living area, while Nancy and Bonnie were both left in their beds on the second floor of their house. They were both also tied up. The idea behind this was that by separating the four members of the family, they could more easily interrogate them about where the money is. Now, they wanted to control their victims, but they also needed their help to find the family's fortune. So they promised the four members of the family that they're just there to rob them and they want their money and then they'll leave. But Herb swears to them, there is no safe in this house. See, Herb is a successful businessman, but he only does business by check. He does not keep cash in the home. He says he might have a little bit in his wallet, but you know, it's not going to be anything more than a few dollars. 
or here and there, like there's no wealth of riches in this house. And they're a pretty simple family too. They don't live extravagantly. It's not like they have a lot of expensive things. So pretty quickly, these robbers realize that they've just invaded this house, woke up and tied up this entire family with basically nothing to gain from it. And it's here that they decide they cannot leave any witnesses. A decision is made that the family must be killed. So even though up to this point, Hickok had been leading the robbery, Smith takes over because he is, after all, the more violent person. Um, and he takes the lead with the idea that they need to murder the family to make sure that there are no witnesses left behind. So with the four members of the family still separated in four separate rooms, Perry Smith and his partner, Hickok, go down to the basement utility room and slit Herb's throat. He fights back just a little bit and then they shoot him in the head and cover his body with a mattress. Now, just outside that room in the living area of the basement is Kenyon, the 15-year-old son of Herb and Bonnie. And Kenyon, remember, is bound on the couch downstairs. He certainly heard the gunshot that killed his father, and he's their next victim. And he is also shot, still tied up on the couch. Now, there's some uncertainty about who committed the crimes on the second floor of the home. Uh, each of the uh, perpetrators accuses the other at different points, but what was accepted in court, so what we'll go with here, is that this was all still Perry Smith committing murders. Upstairs, the two take a little bit of pity on Nancy, and uh, Smith claims that it's because Hickok wanted to rape her and that Smith convinced him not to. But she is not uh, gagged, her mouth's not covered at all. She's still tied up, but they speak with her. And Nancy pleads, but in the end, she accepts that they're going to kill her. And she said that she didn't want to see the gun when it shot her. So she's the only member of the family that's allowed to turn away from the shooters. So still in her bed, she turns over to face the wall with her back to Smith and Hickok, and they shoot her in the back of the head. Last is Bonnie. Bonnie is in her own bedroom. She likely heard all three gunshots and knew that her family was dead. She was alone in bed, and after years of struggling to manage her emotions and mental illness, she was overwhelmed with grief and fear bound and gagged, she is also shot in the head, and all four members of the Clutter family are dead. With the family out of their way, the intruders search the home and leave with just $50 that they found, as well as a couple of small knickknacks, including Kenyon's boombox and a pair of binoculars that belong to Herb. The next morning, the Clutters were absent from church, and so a local teenage girl went to their home to check on them. And that is when she found the four members of their family dead. 
The police were called in and the Kansas Bureau of Investigations took over the search for the murderers. And during their investigation, very little evidence was actually found in the home, with the exception of one very important bloody footprint made by a boot that did not match any of the boots in the home, so they assume it must be the murderers. Now, during this time, Smith and Hickok, they fled to Kansas City and then down to Mexico, which was their plan all along. And here, they pawned off a pair of binoculars that they stole from the home. And then shortly after, they returned to the U.S. and hitchhiked across several states, spending time in places like California, Nebraska, Nevada, amongst others. Now, during this time, the KBI receives a tip from a man named Floyd Wells, who claims that he knows who committed these murders. See, Floyd Wells is the old prison cellmate of Mr. Hickok. He also knows the Clutter family because he used to work for them. This Mr. Wells is the man who told Richard Hickok about the clutter fortune so immediately with floyd wells tip the police start searching for hickok and smith and they have some additional evidence that supports wells claim as well the boot print that they found in the home matched the size of richard hickok's shoes and someone from the Mexican pawn shop where the binoculars were sold confirms that the man who sold those binoculars matches the description of Richard Hickok. So police departments across the U.S. and Mexico are put on high alert to look for these men. Now, meantime, Richard and Perry are living in Nevada and they're driving a car that they had stolen in Iowa. Now, when a car is stolen in the US, police across the country are usually put on high alert to keep an eye out for this particular vehicle with a matching license plate. And when law enforcement in Nevada discovered this stolen car from Iowa, they apprehend the two men and discovered that not only were they the car thieves, but they were also wanted in Kansas for the murder of the Clutter family. And when the KBI arrested the men on December 31st, just weeks after the murder, they still had the boot that left the bloody footprint in the home. Both men eventually confessed to the crimes and Smith and Hickok are sentenced to death in 1960. Just five years later, both men are executed by hanging on the same day in the same place within 40 minutes of each other on April 14th, 1965. Now to this day, the Clutter Family Massacre is known as one of America's most chilling crimes. The family farm was left to the two remaining adult daughters who eventually sold it. The case itself was made famous in Truman Capote's book, In Cold Blood, which is read in countless high school classrooms today. And I very distinctly remember reading this book junior year of high school in AP Language and Composition. <laughs> the In Cold Blood story is one of America's true and most well-known true crime cases. And it helps us today to remember that not everyone in this world is good, but that justice almost always eventually reigns supreme. Thank you for listening to Crime Pros. 
make sure to download this episode and subscribe to the show. If you like our true crime stories, head over to Apple Podcasts and let us know with a five-star review. Crime Pros is hosted by Jay Lucas and is a production of Amped Media. Stream this show on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Amped Media Official. See you next week for a new true crime story and a new true crime pro.